Hey Siri. What is artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence is intelligence exhibited by machines rather than humans or other animals. Should I keep going? Hey Siri. Are you conscious? I am if you are. Most of you will feel that what I'm talking about is kind of cool. I'm going to describe how the gains we make in artificial intelligence could ultimately destroy us. And in fact, I think it's very difficult to see how they won't destroy us. They said they've all been programmed with the three laws. So that means we have 1,000 robots that will not try to protect themselves if it violates a direct order from a human. Singularity, well, that, that's sort of relating to deep AI. It's something I think we should be concerned about. That may or may not turn out well. Yeah, I just think it's the singularity is probably the right word because we just don't know what's going to happen um, once uh, there's intelligence substantially greater than that of a human brain. We have an obsession with stories about robots and artificial intelligence. Think about movies and books like Terminator, AI, The Matrix, Transcendence, and iRobot. All of these are about robots and artificial intelligence, and they all have pretty similar themes. If you watch and read them, you'll notice that with very few exceptions, the plot of most of these stories revolves around the dangers of robotics and artificial intelligence. Somehow, the machines develop a consciousness, the will to act, and for whatever reason, they decide that humans are a threat to their survival. Or in the case of the Matrix, a threat and a resource. We've been telling these stories for a long time, but for most of history, they have just been that, stories. And then all of a sudden, in our world, that fear that was so far off is becoming more and more imminent. People like Elon Musk and Noam Chomsky and Stephen Hawking have all signed an open letter cautioning humanity about the future of AI. And Stephen Hawking, in multiple places, has gone so far as to say that artificial intelligence is the most substantial existential threat facing humankind. But I think the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. Once humans develop artificial intelligence, it will take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. Humans, who are limited by slow biological evolution, couldn't compete and would be superseded. Now, even if AI doesn't spell out our impending doom, it does ask some interesting and important philosophical questions. Like, what makes us human? Especially if a robot exhibits all of those same features better. But that question alone has the power to throw us into an existential identity crisis. Lots of people are having this conversation. Philosophers, pseudo-philosophers, and quote-unquote business leaders. But I haven't seen very many theologians or Christians engaging in it. 
Which is interesting because if AI poses important philosophical questions, then it most certainly poses pressing questions for Christians. Like, what makes us human? What makes us an image bearer? What do we believe about souls or consciousness? What do we believe about sin? And maybe most importantly, what do we believe about redemption and the role of created things in it? Jonathan Merritt, who is a Christian and a writer for The Atlantic, in an article from earlier this year said that AI poses arguably the greatest threat to Christian thinking since Darwin published The Origin of the Species. And in that same article, he quotes Kevin Kelly, who's the co-founder of Wired, who was raised Catholic and identifies himself as Christian, saying, quote, absolutely every single aspect of traditional theology would be challenged and have to be reinterpreted in some capacity, end quote. That's a strong statement. And the question that I've been asking is, is it true? Do we actually have to rethink so much of our faith and our theology if a conscience AI appears on the scene? Does it really challenge that much? Does it really challenge people as much as Darwin's publishing has sometimes challenged people? I guess what I would say early on is yes and no. Right, yes, in some ways, Darwin's publishing of The Origin of Species was a challenge. But should it have been? Should it have rocked people's faith then as it does today as much as it has? And should AI and robotics pose a similar kind of quote-unquote threat? To that I say no, but it will if we don't do some thinking. My name is Johnny Morrison, and you're listening to The People's Theology, a show brought to you by Missio Day in Salt Lake City, Utah. This podcast is about exploring theology and culture like it matters, because it does. In today's show, we are working through a theology of artificial intelligence, which maybe at first glance doesn't seem like it's theology and culture that matters. But what I think is happening is that the questions underneath this topic are really important and really do matter for our every day. Add on to that the fact that AI is developing pretty rapidly. And though I don't believe it to be the crisis of faith and theology that some people have said it is, I believe it will be if we don't think through it. We don't have a philosophy rooted in Jesus as opposed to a specific time and place and culture and system. Today's episode will be broken up into three parts and revolve around three big questions. Questions I've seen show up in different conversations and different articles. Question one is, can a robot have a soul or a consciousness? And more importantly, is that even the right way to think about it? Question two, can a robot or an AI participate in redemption? Can they experience it themselves or be a part of it? Or can they even oppose it and quote unquote sin? And finally, and most importantly, what does any of it mean for us? What is that existential threat they keep talking about? Should we fear it? Does it change us? Does it influence us? What does it mean for us? Hey Siri, do you have a soul? That's a rather personal question. It seems like, from what I've read, from what I've heard, from what Stephen Hawking is saying, that the biggest fear and biggest question 
comes down to whether or not AI can have a soul or develop a conscience. Can it be sentient? The fear is, well, what happens if a super intelligent machine develops awareness of itself and of others? How will it view the world and people? Will we be seen as threats to its survival? Because if it does, it's only so long before it goes Skynet. I'll be back. And even if we aren't afraid of our robotically assured destruction, we still have to answer the important theological question about AI. Like whether or not it can have a conscience or a soul or be sentient. And if it can, what does that mean for us? Because for so many people, that's the real fear. Not that it nukes us or takes over, but that it causes an existential identity crisis. When all of a sudden we see these things that are like us, but better. Now it's important to designate right up front that there are two different types of AI in this conversation. The first kind is what people often refer to as weak AI, and that designates complicated algorithms that efficiently perform limited but complex functions that can be seen as human-esque. Think of Deep Blue, the chess-playing robot that's beaten some of the world's best. But the AI that people are most worried about is one that doesn't exist yet, but we call strong AI. And this designates human intelligence and even sentience. And, and by that I mean awareness. Sentience is awareness of itself, able to have first-person experiences, able to orient itself in the world as a subject, as an I, separate and different from others. Now just think about that for a second if you don't understand why it's frightening. What if your phone, Siri, all of a sudden started referring to itself as an I? Start talking about what it wants or how it's different than you or how it feels about the world or how it orients itself in the world. All of a sudden, it's not just a tool or just a thing. It's a person. Now, the reason this is a theological conversation is that if an AI or if a robot can be sentient, then can it have a soul? Right, and this is important for two reasons. One, traditionally Christians often connected sentience to a soul. But even more fundamentally, souls were connected to the thing that made humans unique, that that is what makes us image bearers, that we have a soul. So if all of a sudden an AI is sentient, well, does it have a soul? Or does that just invalidate what we believed? Now here's the thing, I actually think this question isn't relevant. And the reason for that is that I don't think it is rooted in a biblical understanding of, quote-unquote, souls, but instead on a Greek or Platonic understanding of souls. Platonic philosophy drew a line through what was material and immaterial, adding a level of dualism to human constitution that the Bible never brought, meaning that we are souls and bodies. And for most of history, what this has actually played out to be is that we are primarily souls who are trapped in bodies, like as though the body or the physical or the material is some kind of cage. Now that thinking 
which was deeply Greek, influenced Christian theology. And all of a sudden, we become primarily souls in Christian thinking and not bodies. And all of a sudden, our purpose and mission in life is to leave and die and exit the physical so that we can enter into the spiritual. But all of that, that's Plato. I don't think you find that in the Bible anywhere. Seriously, just read it. Nowhere will you find a hard divide between immaterial and material or soul and body that isn't one that we project onto the text. And more importantly for this conversation, nowhere in the Bible is the idea of soul connected to sentience. Or is it connected to being uniquely human? The word that we often translate as soul in Hebrew is nefesh hayim. And it isn't just used of humans in Genesis, but as animals as well. It is probably better translated simply as, quote-unquote, living beings. At that, nefesh, the, the soulish thing that we often want to connect to, is never the thing that makes humans unique in the Bible. Instead, what makes us image bearers is that we have been given a responsibility to steward the world well. It's not a gift or a possession or even really a state of being. It is an invitation into ruleship. Now, that doesn't answer the question of whether or not AI can develop consciousness or can be sentient. How does theology deal with that? Well, I think in large part, it depends on how we understand sentience and where it comes from. One of the primary suggestions that we see floating around is the idea that sentience or consciousness is emergent. Philosopher William Hasker says it this way, quote, The human mind is produced by the human brain and is not a separate element added to the brain from the outside. This leads to the further conclusion that mental properties are, quote-unquote, emergent in the following sense. They are properties that manifest themselves when appropriate material constitutes are placed in special, highly complex relationships. But these properties are not observable in simpler configurations, nor are they derivable from the laws which describe the properties of matter as it behaves in these simpler configurations, end quote. So what about that moment? If sentience is emergent, does it contradict creation or the work that God is doing. And again, I would just say no. Even if you believe that sentience is connected to the soul, its emergence doesn't invalidate that. Augustine, the church father, he made a famous statement, which I think is helpful for this conversation. He says, quote, God gives men their bodies, although no one doubts that the said bodies are given, made, and formed by him in seminal propagation, end quote. To be honest, I am skeptical of emergent consciousness. Not because I'm skeptical of emergence, but because I am skeptical of human ability to constitute the parts necessary. But if we do, and sentience emerges, it doesn't change my faith or theology at all. Right? In fact, there's room right in the center of the system for that notion, regardless of how I conceive of souls or not. There's room. And not only is there room for that, but I think there is room as a Christian because of what we believe about creation and consciousness and human ability to have a conversation about AI ethics and rights that no one else is able to have. And that might sound totally crazy, but if an AI emerges with sentience, 
then I think Christians alone have a solid argument to actually include that sentience in its community and to even think about its rights. But I do think there's an important truth that runs underneath this whole entire conversation, even if that never happens. And it is this, that I don't see developments in human understanding, developments in technology, as potential threats to my faith. But a lot of people do. A lot of people fear that every development or every change or every new discovery is somehow threatening what they believe, threatening the solidity of their faith. And if that is you, and if you see threats all around you, I think it's important for you to ask, what do you have faith in? What is your theology rooted in? What is your trust rooted in? If your faith is in being right or never having to change your inherited narratives because to do so would be a threat, if that's where your faith is, well, then it will be challenged every time some new discovery comes along because so many of the stories that we have believed and so many of the worldviews that we have inherited are not from this age. They're from long ago and they couldn't have adapted to the moment that we live in. So if that's what your faith is, you will struggle and you will see threats. But if your faith is in the person who is Jesus, who is bigger and better and transcendent, then I don't think you see these things as threats. I think you see them as opportunities to engage new conversations, to open up what it is that you've understood and believed and previously thought to ask good questions and begin to explore what this means for you and what it means for the story of Jesus. Hey Siri, can you make mistakes? No, I can't. This gets us to the second question that robotics and AI raises for theology, which is, can sentient artificial beings be moral or immoral? Can they do things that are wrong or right on a value scale? Can they in a Christian sense, even commit sin, can they be moral and immoral? Now, like before, I think this plays out differently in conversations about weak AI versus strong AI. If strong AI can exist, then by its very definition, it has knowledge of self and others, which is the beginning framework for making moral decisions. Now, that does lead to another conversation, which we're not going to get into, about where morality comes from. If it's taught, then you could, I guess, teach an AI morality. But if it's inherited, if moral compasses are inherited biologically, then it does lead to really important questions about the moral capacity of artificial intelligence. Can it have morality if it doesn't inherit it? 
But that's a different conversation altogether, one that we're not going to get into here. However, there was a recent Radio Lab which talked through some of these issues specifically and I think would be helpful in this conversation. Where I think this conversation becomes really interesting and really relevant is when it converges with weak AI, AI that already exists and is currently being developed. But as we think about weak AI, on the one hand, we have to recognize that it is arguably some of the best of human ability and culture making. It furthers our potential and enables us to do amazing and terrifying things. Can send text messages, beat me at chess, explore space, make sophisticated medical recommendations, drive cars. And at the same time, weak AI can roam the sky and drop bombs on terrorists and civilians alike. Weak AI fundamentally is an extension of human ability, responsibility, and irresponsibility. And in that world, the moral question, it doesn't fall to some other being or some other entity, some other mode. It falls to us. If we're asking questions about whether it can do good or bad, the real question is, can we do good or bad? And the answer is yes. Can AI participate in the amazing work that humans are called to do? Yes. But it can also do intense destruction and damage. But the object, the tool, is a morally neutral one. It's the user that is held accountable. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that we're not shaped and transformed by these objects, but I am saying that it does not remove the responsibility from its users. To illustrate this, this is a clip from Reed Hoffman being interviewed by Trevor Noah on The Daily Show. And Reed is a CEO in Silicon Valley who is been a part of the community that is warned and cautioned about artificial intelligence. And this is him saying what he thinks the dangers are. And all of them regard human efforts. So the actual thing that everyone worries about is the Terminator movie right. and Robocalypse because uh -huh. it's a nice story. I think the likelihood of that story is pretty low, uh -huh. right? I mean, again, maybe an asteroid hitting the Earth is more likely okay. than that story. However, things like, for example, cybersecurity, where artificial intelligence might actually, in fact, uh, cause uh, the uh, kind of attack and own an, uh, the net and then cause problems with the power grid or other kinds of things. Those kinds of things make me more worried. And it makes me more worried if it's a possibly an arms race. The question is always, what do humans do with the technology they have? And this is actually an extreme example of that. In this next clip, though, we have somebody thinking through the implications that are every day really normal and already happening. But you've got to imagine that, you know, that there will be in the next 10 years, 20 to 50 million jobs that will just vanish uh, to automation. Um, you've got, you know, million truckers that will lose their jobs. Um, uh, they, but it's not, we think about like automation and driverless cars and we think about the fact that um, they are going to, uh, the people that just drive the cars, like the taxi drivers and the truckers, are going to lose their jobs. But what we don't realize is that there, there are entire industries that, that are built around just cars. So, for example, 
if you're not driving the car, why do you need insurance? There's no parking tickets because your driverless car knows where it can and cannot park and goes and finds a spot and moves and so on. Um, if there are truckers that are no longer using rest stops because driverless cars don't have to stop and pee or take a nap, then all of those little rest stops all across America are affected. People aren't stopping to use the restrooms. They're not buying burgers. They're not staying in these hotels and so on and so forth. And Right, and this leads us back to the question at the very beginning. Is AI an existential threat to human society? Yes. Because humans are an existential threat to human society. The real question isn't, will robots destroy us? It's, will we destroy us? And the real question isn't, will robots replace us because they don't need us? It's, will robots replace us because, well, we don't need us? So as always, it is a conversation about power, about how humans use the power they have. Do we use it for good and for the benefit of those around us? Do we think through the consequences of the things that we do and make, or do we use it for ourselves, for the bottom line? But that's the question. Hey, Siri, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid I don't know. The final question that I want to talk about is not really about AI or about robotics, but about us. In simple, you could say it like this. Why do we care? Like, why do we continue to tell this story? Why do we continue to display it in movies and in television shows and read it in books? Why do we continue to talk about it? Why are we so fascinated about the development of artificial intelligence? I don't want to over-philosophize, but I do think that our stories reflect something about us. Fears and desires. What got me thinking about this is reading Slavoj Žižek, and he makes an argument kind of like this in regards to movies about zombies, and vampires. And I just want to read what he said because it's helpful if we want to think about the meaning behind stories in AI. This is what he writes, quote, What is excluded from the symbolic returns in the real of a hallucination. And what is excluded is class struggle in all its brutality. One could venture the hypothesis that the horror movies register the class difference in the guise of the difference between vampires and zombies. Vampires are well-mannered, exquisite, and aristocratic, and they live among normal people, while zombies are clumsy, inert, and dirty, and attack from the outside like a primitive revolt of the excluded. End quote. I'm not saying that he's right or wrong or that I agree with him, but I think he draws out an interesting point about these fictional story pieces that they might actually represent something, something deeper, something that is true of humans, something that we're wrestling through or thinking about. And if that is true, then what does AI and robotics and movies and literature represent? What fear or struggle or desire is under the surface of those? Now here, right now, is what I think. I think we fear something. And this might sound pedantic or flowery or overly philosophical, but I think we fear what we have become. Robots, 
As we see them in movies, are slaves to a system, to programming, to designs and purposes of the thing that made it. They are cogs in the machine, endlessly working, producing, without complaint or worry. And this, I think, is where our real fear comes from. Because when we look at them, we see what we so regularly become. Robots. Measured and valued and weighed by our ability to produce. Not by who we are. I think it's also why AI feels like an existential identity threat. Because what if there are robots that can be better than we are at all the same things that we do? What if they produce more and write more and work harder? If that happens, who are we? All of a sudden, the thing that makes us meaningful and valuable has just been removed and robbed from us. But again, like before, I would suggest that this isn't a threat. Not a threat if you put your faith in the right place. Because if it is determined by your ability to produce, or it's determined by your production, or it's determined by your value at work or in economics or whatever, there will be a threat. But if your faith is rooted somewhere else, If it's rooted in the person of Jesus, then your identity does not come from achievement or production or work. It comes from him. It comes from how he names you. Instead of seeing it as a threat, I think we should see it maybe as a warning. That it is what we could become unless we heed the invite of the gospel, which is an invitation to rest. To trust in the goodness of the creator and the work that he has done and the provision that he has given. And let go of the fear that drives you to relentless work. To see yourself displayed in the stories and narratives that you tell. To use it. But again, at the end of the day, it comes down to what you do. You've been listening to The People's Theology, brought to you by Missio Day in Salt Lake City, Utah. For more information about the church or about the podcast, check out our website at missioslc.com. And as always... Thanks for listening. If you would, go ahead and rate us on iTunes. For some reason, it helps. And more importantly than ever, would you share this episode with a friend? Maybe they've had the same questions you have or or the, the conversation that's happening underneath this show. Maybe that's what they need to connect to. Either way, thanks for listening. Check back soon for more episodes. Thanks.